Abraham tonight. Uh, we got lots of fun stuff to cover. Uh, chapters six, seven, and eight, mostly seven and eight are my favorite chapters, but six is also a, a very great one. Uh, did anyone have any uh, experiences or, or things that they learned when they were researching Bethel and Shechem that they'd like to share? Uh, we'll just kind of start out there and then we'll we'll hop in, um, uh, take the, the chapter from the front to the back kind of thing. But uh, Bethel and Shechem, uh, did anybody have the opportunity to research those and, and how they play out in Israelite history? And if not, that's totally fine. I, I get the extra homework <laughs> challenging sometimes. But share your knowledge with us. <laughs> um, so we've got two really important sites that are uh, major focal points for the Israelites throughout all of their history. Bethel uh, literally means house of God, uh, house of the Lord. And it is uh, it plays out to be uh, kind of a temple city, uh, a place where people keep going to commune with the Lord to receive oracles. Uh, anytime they're in dire straits, they, they go to Bethel for that, uh, that wisdom from on high. Um, this is where, on both places, Shechem and Bethel, Abraham uh, leaves Haran on his way to Egypt uh, and, and builds an altar at each. And then on his way back through, he, he goes and either rebuilds the altar or uh, offers another sacrifice at these uh, two locations. Um, uh, Jacob's Ladder, uh, where Jacob wrestled with the angel, received the, the new name of Israel and all of the covenant blessings. That's all at Bethel. Um, the Ark of the Covenant was, was kept there, um, there and in Shiloh. Um, anyway, it's a, a very holy city, a, a place where um, uh, lots of temple imagery and symbolism come through there. Um, and non-coincidentally, uh, when they defile it with idol worship, they're defiling the temple of, of God, the house of God, and that's when they get captured um, and, and taken into captivity. So then we, we move on to, to Shechem. Uh, I found these very interesting. The, the Shechem means uh, shoulder or saddle. Um, this is where uh, Abraham it gets the covenant confirmed. So he makes it in Haran, but it's confirmed in Shechem. Uh, this is the, the first altar out of Haran. Um, it, Jacob also builds an altar there. Uh, this is where uh, lots of different good and bad uh, stories come into play, but where um, Dinah uh, was defiled and uh, Simeon and, and Levi go and avenge her and um, uh, circumcise all of the men of the city and then later kill them all. Um, we have Jacob's well there and Jacob's well comes into play because of the Samaritan woman uh, during Christ's ministry. Uh, Joseph's bones when they're brought out of Egypt are, are placed there in Shechem. Uh, when the Israelites do come out of Egypt, um, you know Moses isn't allowed to enter into the, the promised land, but Joshua brings them to Shechem and there's two mountains, uh, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, uh, and they received the covenant, the blessings and the cursings. Uh, half of Israel went up on one side on the Mount of Blessings and, and shouted the blessings of the covenant. And then the other um, half went up on the other Mount and, and shouted the cursings of the covenant. If they broke the covenant, this is the cursings that would come upon them kind of thing. Um, it's the Levitical city of the Kohanim, the, the priests. Um, uh, they they dwelt and had trainings and, and many things there in Shechem. And anyway, there's there's lots of things that, that happen both in Bethel and Shechem throughout the Israelite history. Uh, Shechem kind of becomes the the center of the the northern tribes when the the tribes divide north versus south. Shechem is kind of the capital city up there because of its high importance in the Abrahamic covenant and and everything. Uh, they they build a temple there. Um, on the Mount of Blessings. Um, so yeah, and, and we'll see that as we uh, play through this chapter, uh, Bethel and Shechem uh, are, are key into Abraham's history and heritage and, and for his posterity. Um, so let's dive into Lot. Um, what, what lessons do we learn from Lot in general and in this chapter? Uh, his relationship with Abraham, uh, him as a prophet, 
what all um, what all do you have to say? <laughs> I <clears throat> excuse me. I never thought of a lot as a prophet before this book. I I just thought he was just this nephew that was tagging along, but um, he he left Abraham. Abraham had taught him, and he. He left as a prophet and he went, he was teaching the people, trying to teach them. Nobody was interested. He was trying to save them, call them to repentance and one thing or another. And in fact, he went back and talked to Abraham about it. And, and Abraham just told him to just be patient and still show forth love towards them. But anyway, I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had never considered him as a, a prophet either, but but that shows uh, his character and um, some insight into the play in when Sodom and Gomorrah are um, destroyed by the Lord and, and things. It just sheds a whole new light on him. Yeah. Um. I find it interesting. I had never really considered. I always just thought that Abraham and Lot had a had a fight, and one went one way, and the, one went the other way. But um, here we're we're talking about the the shepherds, and, and you know the symbolism behind shepherds and, and things like that. Um, but a quarrel broke out between Abraham's shepherds and those of Lot's, and and then um, it's kind of the true test of character uh, with Abraham, where. I mean, the Lord's giving him the whole land. He's he's receiving tons of, of blessings here. And yet he doesn't just say, well, well, the Lord gave me this. You you go out there somewhere and find something. Um, but he gives him uh, his, his choice, even like the best of what the Lord gave him. It's kind of a, a tithing principle that we see played out in different ways throughout this chapter, where uh, Abraham gives the best, not only to the Lord, but to those around him as well. Like he, he's just such a, uh, a loving Hesed individual that, that he's just so willing to, to give because he has been given much. I find that that's a interesting thing that, that, that we see more fully, uh, throughout, uh, studying this book and, and these chapters, um, that sometimes we, we kind of skip over in, in our, scripture study, uh, just a, a quick overview of, of Abraham's life, but really uh, diving in and studying the, the things that play out with all of the characters involved. I find that very helpful as we're reading. I thought that was kind of humbling because I thought, you know, there've been lots of times I've taken lots of people on trips places and I, I always take the best room. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's oh. not very Abraham like of me like i i thought it was a really teaching kind of a a moment actually yeah yeah for sure something that stood out to me in that chapter was that you know i i didn't realize it but you kind of mentioned that they were kind of a lot was kind of upset and we, we don't really know i mean i didn't really understand why but that he left choosing his location but that through Abraham's example, Lot became a better person. Mm -hmm. That he was able to become the man he was, that he became because of Abraham's example and his love and his, um, probably, I mean, like, like you said, if you give someone the option, like, do you want the nicer room or do you want, you know, this room? Like that person just, create like it's like wow you really love me to to give me something that's better and be okay with either one I thought that was this chapter actually was one of my favorites I really liked the example and I mean this book is just amazing but I really liked that part I, I took notes on on that particular part mm -hmm. yeah sure um so now we, we kind of transition uh, when, when Lot is gone, then the Lord uh, puts Abraham through um, 
uh, not put him through, that's the wrong word. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I knew it was wrong. Um, uh, guides him through uh, uh, a showing of the, the promised land. So he takes him upon uh, Ramat Hazor and, and shows him uh, south to north, east to west. It's interesting, those cardinal directions, if I've taken my symbolism class on, on cardinal directions, uh, why that order of things. But here we have a, a, a vista all around of this promised land that is quite extensive. And then um, you go and, uh, well, you go, uh, Abraham is taken on, on a journey, uh, which must have taken several weeks to walk the perimeter of the land. I, I find that that's a very interesting thing that, that kind of pops up both then and um, uh, in our day in, in different ways. Um, anyway, what, what kind of insights and, and things can we learn from, from this experience that, that the Lord is giving Abraham? Well, my first thought when he was walking that perimeter, I thought, wow, how did God give him all this land? And then I heard that there were people living there. I'm like, how could he give it to him? And then it, that was such a temporal thought, right? <laughs> and then I realized, wait, the Israelites got the promised land and it was full of people. And, you know, everything's is the, everything belongs to the Lord and it's his to, to give us. And I just, I don't know, that was just an interesting thought. One of the things that I thought about when I was reading that particular section was today because, you know, everybody, I, I listened to a podcast this week where they said, um, you know, members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints represent two tenths of 1% of the world's population. And that kind of made me go, Oh, <laughs> that's, you know, in those terms, it's so small, but the three major world religions all recognize Abraham as the father of their religion, as a huge important figure in their religion. And so when he's over there looking all of it, I'm like, man, he just must be going, knock it off. You're, you know, it's like your, your kids, don't your kids drive you crazy when they're fighting? It's like I grown, I had, my kids are 30, 20, 18 and 15. And I, love being a mom but I would tell my kids the only thing I don't like about being a mom is when you fight and <laughs> he's got to be like come on people because it's it's a constant battleground because really his kids are fighting for this land that, that they're talking about the Lord showing him specifically right yeah for sure exactly <laughs> quarrel not guys <laughs> sad all right um I, I also couldn't help but think the description of sodom how much it was like our description today mm -hmm. i thought that was i don't know i just thought that was super interesting well not only is it like our day it's you know even lot well he's going out there and he's trying mm -hmm. it, it's like I sometimes think about my friends and family members who, you know, I'm always trying to say something, but I'm mocked and, you know, yeah. marginalized so much because it's such a ridiculous stance to take this religion, you know, thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it really strikes me that we are seeing that and you know their unwillingness to listen to a lot yeah i'll be your friend as long as you don't bring that crap up to me you know <laughs> yeah exactly. and also like, <laughs> like their their um hearts being set so much upon the things of the world and then you contrast that with abraham who even gave away to lot what was given to him by the lord um you know, just that big contrast. And it validated for me some beliefs that I have had for a long time in um, that the Lord will always multiply what we have if we share. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have to have something to share, right? So we need to, not that we need to, not that we need to hoard, but we need to, you know, like 
President, I mean, Elder um, Bednar just gave that talk in general conference and talked about the 10 virgins and about having, um, you know, food storage. Well, you can't share food storage if you don't have it. And as long as you have it, the Lord will multiply it and there will always be enough. That's just always been an internal belief of mine. And, and this just exemplified that for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, sorry, Andrea was trying to say something, I think. Well, she's a little occupied at this minute, but we'll, yep, we'll come yep. back to her. <laughs> um, so yeah, one thing that, that kind of popped up that I thought was an interesting parallel was to our, our modern, well, not modern, uh, uh, Latter-day, uh, when they were establishing it, uh, Zion in Missouri, uh, how they were, were acting um, versus Abraham's example here. You know, he's been given this whole big land. He walks the perimeter of it. And there's, there's enemies, there's people that, not enemies, but like people that aren't living a covenant lifestyle in any way, shape or form. They're, sometimes they're hostile, sometimes they're gross and vile, whatever it is. But um, kind of look at, at the Missouri saints and, you know, they were kind of like, no, the Lord gave us this land. Now you get out <laughs> kind of a thing versus Abraham who um, was magnanimous and, and, and loving of all of those people that were in his land given to him by God, um, yet, you know, he wasn't trying to oust them out and, and things. Um, I, I thought that that was kind of a, an interesting play of why one of the, the reasons why the Missouri Saints weren't uh, allowed to build Zion at that particular time was they, they weren't very Abraham-like in, in their, their treatment of their, their fellow humans uh, <laughs> that were in the land kind of a thing. Um, one thing that, that really stood out to me was on page 130, where um, it's kind of halfway down the page, and we have a, a huge part here where it says, the lesson is remembered to this day in Judaism. If the poor do not come to your house, you are obligated to seek them and bring them into your home, for this is what Abraham did. I think more than anything, this time through the book, that hit me like a ton of bricks, where, I mean, yeah, I'll help out the poor if they're on my path kind of a thing. Um, not that I'm, I'm meaning to or anything like that, but in a small town, uh, 200 people, we're, <laughs> we don't experience uh, uh, lots of those kind of things. You know, there's an occasional thing and, and we, we help out as much as we can. Um, but I, I'm, not, I'm not seeking out the, the homeless or the downtrodden or the needy, uh, whether it be physical, temporal or spiritual. And I think that that was uh, a huge correction that the Lord was giving me through this book this week, uh, how I was to uh, let God prevail in my life more um, was, was exactly doing that. If the, the poor do not come to your house, you're obligated to seek them out and bring them into your home. I think that that's huge uh, for us in our day and age. Um, you know, we have lots of different excuses for for not doing that you know sometimes we don't have trust in in people we don't uh for all of the the bad apples that are out there that that ruin that experience for some that um we as long as we're led by the spirit uh i think that we'll be protected and, and guided in our efforts to seek out the poor and the needy and, and those that really do need our help um uh, that that video that the the church just put out well it might not have just been put out I found it <laughs> this week uh, L posted it on the the Learning Zion page but of the the man when he goes on business trips he always finds uh, a homeless person or somebody he doesn't know and and goes out to dinner with them and um, has chats and things and the lessons that he learned when they were uh, kind of ignored or forgotten by the 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 waitress not on purpose but um, anyway, uh, I found that video very insightful as I was reading this. It was almost in the same day that I was uh, reviewing that, that um, it, it was just like the Lord needed me to, to learn that lesson finally this week. And so, um, you know, I, I encourage us to all uh, share ways that, that the Lord is helping us to, to, to let him prevail in our lives and stuff. And that was, that was one for me this week, for sure. Um, I have another one for chapter eight. I just got done recording just like barely before class, uh, chapter eight's audiobook, And oh man, the Lord really 
got me on that one. <laughs> we'll, we'll share that in a couple of weeks. But, um, but this one was, was this week's Seeking Out the Poor. I think that that was a, a huge wake-up call to me, um, how to be more Abraham-like in, in my interactions. Cameron, I had a little experience a couple of weeks ago, and I've been mulling it over, and this chapter has really caused me to think even more along the lines I was thinking. Maybe you guys could give me some input. I am in need of some help with my mom and I, and my mom has some money. We're willing to pay for help. And I approached my Bishop a week ago, Sunday and said, what about this family? Are they in need? Would this bless their lives if I hired them? And he said, I can't tell you. And I said, I really want to bless a family that could use the money. Would this bless them? I can't discuss that. And it made me really angry and then he called me later and he said if you really want to help just donate more money to the fast offerings which really made me frustrated because I thought I want to help I want to minister I'm still in need of help just by giving money isn't going to help me and you know I want to bless somebody in the ward and how, how can you're taking away from me the opportunity to minister to someone in the ward and you're wanting to do all the ministering. That's how I saw it. So, well, that's just a, your Bishop thing because I've, I've had right. amazing opportunities and helping people. That's in my what ward that I would have no idea that they needed help if the Bishop didn't tell me. And that's why I was so frustrated. I'm like, don't, I'm not asking you to tell me what help you're giving or, what their W-2 is or how much tithing they do or don't pay. I just want to know if it will bless them. I can't discuss. Do you have that. a relationship with your Relief Society president? Not really. We just moved here um, three weeks before COVID started, before the lockdown. Because, so I really oh. don't know anyone, but I just kind of want some insight maybe. Like I'm having not very good feelings and trying to reconcile wanting to be more Zion-like and feeling maybe not so Zion-like right now <laughs> towards, towards my bishop. Do you know what I'm saying? Or The bishop's in a tough spot because if the families ask him not to share, not to say anything, and then he says, yes, they need help. Now he's violated the confidence and trust they've placed in him. Mm -hmm. And so he has to walk that fine line. I know. And see, that wasn't even what I was asking. I just said, would it bless them? It could bless them by giving them experience in helping my mom with dementia and being a friend. Maybe they need a friend, Yeah, you know, and like my mom needs going on. You don't know about. So what? there's something happening there that you don't know that the Bishop knows that he's not allowed to say. Okay. So. Well, and you could also ask your Relief Society president because a lot of people um, are a lot more comfortable talking to the Relief Society president, you know, just as women, we tend to be more forthcoming. Mm -hmm. I had actually tried calling her several times and she hadn't returned my phone calls. And that's, so that's when I saw the Bishop on Sunday and reached but, out. But in her. terms of having bad feelings towards your Bishop, I've had some really bad Bishop experiences over the years <laughs> and it's, it just can't be how you go about things. It, you have to just trust the Lord's put them there for their good. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that he, if you turn directly to him and pray specifically about who you should have do this, the Lord will give you the revelation you need to make a difference. And it will be, you will see miracles in your life by turning directly to the Lord for the guidance of who to hire and how it will bless them. I appreciate that, Andrea. Thank you. Cause this is, this has been a really tough couple of weeks for me. Libby says that same thing there in the chat. He said, the Lord knows who needs it. Yeah. Okay. And that's the hard thing is, you know, I told the bishop, like, I know no one. We're not even allowed to congregate after church right now. Mm -hmm. And so the few people that I knew their faces, I can't even see their faces anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So I know no one. And when we were here six weeks, but three of those weeks I was in the nursery. So I really didn't get the opportunity to know anyone. And that's why it's been really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, not that I have a similar experience or whatever, but like anytime that I've had uh, issues with, with a, a bishop or, or anything like that, I was just like, oh my word. But <laughs> I know that it's a test for me because like 
the bishop doesn't know that that they have offended you or whatever and you know they just oh think, my bishop knows oh he knows <laughs> oh yeah i actually left right after the sacrament and he reached out to my husband and said did i offend your wife he goes you know i think there was a misunderstanding later in the day he messaged him because he didn't know and he said maybe you need to call her and that didn't go much better it's like yeah yep. anyway oh, i don't want to hijack yeah. this i could I guess I'd rather put books away. Than I have so many books to read. I don't dare look at any more. I'll get myself in trouble. <laughs> well, I don't want to hijack this. Yes. Maybe this is my Abraham, bit, yeah. Abrahamic um, uh, test we right did. now. Let's see. So, I can't figure out where. Yeah. I think that's L. I think oh, she and it, I heard. It. I thought I heard it pour earlier. Did it? I can't even see her. Where is she at? Just like a second. Oh, I thought I heard, but I didn't look out to see if that's what it was. She doesn't realize she's she, not. I muted think she longer. needs to be muted. Yeah. Yeah, because like I can't even see her picture anywhere. There's no picture. Uh -huh. just There's no. not a picture. Well, you know, uh, um, yeah. I'm not sure how to say your name. Oh, yeah. Alethea. Alethea. Yeah. Now, as soon as you said, it's like, oh yeah, that's how you say it. Oh. <laughs> I've I've actually had. <laughs> Some not great feelings about my bishop for a long time uh -huh. and for christmas yeah. this year my kids were older i had covid right before christmas and i had no energy and i've always spoiled my kids horribly bad anyway and i asked our relief society president if there was anybody we could do christmas for instead of you know spoiling my kids more than they already are and um and it was i and i just had beautiful amazing wonderful experiences and like the spirit guided me to specific toys like that, you know, I got, it was just amazing and wonderful. And um, when the next time I was at church, cause we usually go to my parents' house, um, the bishop like came and like grabbed me. He's like, I need to talk to you. Come here. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> what's this going to be? And, um, and he just was really emotional and thanked me for the difference that I had made in those families and, and this example. And for him, I, I was shocked, like shocked because I had bad feelings and, you know, the Lord again, humbled me. I I'm getting humbled a lot. I know, but, um, that if you leave it in the Lord's hands, I promise it will be, it will be okay. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that testimony. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And then I'll report back to you when I find out when, when you get you know what happens yeah <laughs> anyways i didn't mean to hijack this but it kind of it kind of felt like it went along with like what abraham was doing and, yeah. and giving and serving and anyway so okay for sure exactly like uh i don't know yesterday i had a really uh just a rough day at work and stuff and i was just like okay heavenly father today like it's really windy and, and stormy here and stuff so we didn't have to work and I was just like, okay, I need a day to compress and compartmentalize and all of that stuff and, and unpack it. Like, is this an Abrahamic test I just need to, to wade through? Like, I'm really trying to have Abrahamic tests and then to, to recognize uh, my, my path forward kind of thing, you know? And, and as I'm studying Abraham, things just like flow and, and the, the Lord's purpose and things, I'm able to see it better. And so I think that, um, not that each one of our things are, are Abrahamic tests, you know, of, of great magnitude and everything, but even um, these, these interactions with, with other members of the church and things can be Abrahamic tests in and of themselves that, that we can learn and grow from. So I, I find that, you know, this discussion is very helpful in um, uh, kind of seeing other people's perspectives and getting insight and, and things. And so that we can all like, just here right now uh, discussing that that specific principle was was very um very telling uh as far as like oh well we know exactly what abraham would do and and so let's let's put it into practice let's find some different little uh things uh, ways to approach a, an issue kind of thing I, I find it all very helpful um uh discussion and and stuff it <laughs> it doesn't seem at all to me like we're we're sidetracking it's like 
Well, isn't it funny? Cause you read this and you're like, oh, that's so good. And all these different stories you read and not just Abraham, but you know, Joseph mm -hmm. and every, you know, all, all the prophets in the scriptures and you think, oh, that's wonderful. And of course he made the right decision. But then when something happens to us, we don't usually recognize it. Right. Or we feel mm -hmm. like it's different and yeah, but that's not how, you know, and we just, I don't know what's the word we just, um, make excuses. Right. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, I guess that's an important lesson for me to learn is to be able to recognize, like you said, these Abrahamic tests for what they are and be able to live up to that. Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. All right. So diving into, um, the coalition of the Kings. So we have um, uh, Winston Churchill's quote here on page 131, the story of the human race is war. Unfortunately, that's the case. We, we always have war throughout all the, the ages of mankind. The war in heaven is definitely continued here on earth. And um, sometimes we, in our, our current little bubble of, of, you know, relative peace, we, we sometimes forget that, that this is a hard <laughs> mortal probation here. And so um, as we, we put ourselves in Abraham's shoes and, and think about, okay, so we, we've separated from, from our, our kinsmen and, and they are kidnapped and captured in war. Like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how I would like handle that situation. That would be like so crazy to me. Even if we did, you know, Abraham had total love in, in his heart and everything, but, you know, I, I separated from, from this individual and you know, kind of like, oh yeah, you you go live over here. I'll live over here. We'll be in peace, but but still, don't attack my brother, kind of thing. <laughs> um, I I think that would be a crazy position to be in. And yet, look how Abraham uh, uh, acts and and reacts here. And we learn a lot about uh, war, especially applicable to our day and age. The the rules of, of warfare when. Um, how much do we do? How much do we let God do? When do we enter it? Kind of a thing. What all did, um, what insights did you have from, from this experience and um, pretty much directly related to war and um, how we can apply that to, to our modern age? Because we know that what's coming is not going to be easy, right? Well, I um, loved how... Um he talks about all the the uh, miracles that happened for him and then um on 133 at the top of the page god helped him in battle only after he had mustered his armed men and prepared himself um and it just made me think that you could apply that to any battle in our lives right that um we have to muster ourselves we have to prepare ourselves um, every day for every battle that we have and then God will perform these miracles um, in our lives he'll fight our battles for us but only after we arm ourselves and prepare ourselves I just that was such a great um, I just love that sentence right there to kind of sum up how this all came to be for Abraham mm -hmm. yeah yeah thank you Um, also, you know, there's so much division. There's so much hate in our culture right now. And oh, wow, what an example. You know, he's like, okay, okay, you can have your people back and, you know, have back all the loot we've stolen from everybody else. And, you know, but, you know, give us back our people. And you, you just see we're, we as a society are so grasping to the what's just and what's right and this isn't fair and they can't do this and how could they you know it, it, he he was definitely in the position of strength at this moment and what does he do he's like oh yeah sure here's all your people and, and all your loot too all your stuff you know it's yeah. yours <laughs> what a what a lesson to how we I mean he was his enemy I mean, he had think about what had just happened and that whole thing going up up to there. If anyone had a reason to be, you know, stick it to him or, you know, be hateful, be vengeful, be 
even if you don't look at it that way, it's just like, oh, but it's not fair. Mm-hmm. You know, why should he keep those people, you know, or those good, those precious loot is the word that they used. In That's a, not a word we use for myself. <laughs> it feels funny to say it, but you know, it, it was, it, it's so applicable to what's happening right now. Because mm-hmm. it isn't about just, it isn't about fair. It's about love. Yeah, yeah, it always comes back to love and, and that charity and the chesed, yeah. I love yeah, those on- last two sentences at the top of 135 in that paragraph that ends. Abraham's goal was not to change the map, but to change hearts. He would conquer not by the sword, but only by love. I have a son that's left the church and he's just, he's so, oh, social justice and all of this now. and. I just keep telling him, Dalton, you just have to love. You're not going to change people's hearts by yelling at them or, you know, whatever, forcing your opinions on them or forcing, you know, by making laws that he supports in making everything fair. I'm like, that's not going to do it. It's only by love. That's it. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he doesn't get it. He, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, right along with what has already been said on on 131, it said he did not shun the wicked, but befriended them and in hope of of helping them. So, you know, he just he just wanted to do the Lord's will and to help them and and to do what he can, you know, to be kind to them. So Mm -hmm. anyway, I just just thought that just went right along with what everyone was saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Cameron, I really liked on 132 when he was putting his army together. He said it says on 131 he had a 318 men from his group. But I really love the part where he said, and Abram urged no one to come who was f- fearful. And that one, that really meant a lot to me because I've worked so hard to not be fearful. I used to be overcome with fear, but the more I've studied and the more I've prepared and the more just learning these kind of things, how I don't feel as scared anymore. I don't feel fearful. I feel a lot more faith. And mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. He didn't even, he just told them, don't come. If you don't, if you're scared, just don't come. Mm-hmm. And because they had to have complete faith. I love that part. Yeah, for sure. Um, that was one part that, that really resonated to me. Um, uh, if any of you have read the, the Washington Hypothesis by, by Timothy Ballard, uh, he talks about General Washington and his miraculous uh, battles when, when God prevailed with, with him. But those were, were the two requirements that, that he um, had, that there be no sin and that there be no fear. Uh, with those two things, you can have the full faith that the Lord will fight your battles. It's interesting to, to note that um, that phrase is part of the Abrahamic covenant, that I will fight your battles. That, that's huge. In, in a world of warfare uh, throughout all of the ages of, of mankind, that God will fight the battles. We see it a lot in Israelite history, both good and bad, when, when they were uh, righteous and when they were sinful, uh, both on this continent and that continent, that, um, that the Lord keeps his promise. He will fight the battles and miracles will, will happen when we fulfill those two requirements is kind of a divine law, no fear and no sin, go and repent and and have full faith. And and I will fight your battles. That that's huge for us as we go into um, the future, the time of the antichrist and and the destruction of the ego and, and everything. I mean, we're going to have to live by faith and um, uh, some of it is is just going to, to come down to, um, good old blind faith too, you know, like we have no idea how we're going to get out of this pickle, but, uh, we, we know that it'll all be all right. <laughs> so Cameron, one yeah. of the things that I think is that sometimes we don't give ourselves enough, um, insight. I think when we pass on to the next world, we're going to be very surprised to, to learn about all of the help that we haven't known about from the other side that have helped us throughout our trials and whatever going through this life. And there's just no question that the Lord does fight our battles and probably more so than we ever give him 
credit for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. We often just think it worked out, right? Never mind. It just worked <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I don't need your help anymore. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> cool. Um, let's see. Yeah, I haven't kept up on chat. Sorry. Um, so, um, L, a lot of the, the Christian churches are supporting social justice, and we are called to be merciful. And she quotes Alma 4215, uh, talking about that merciful God there. And then Libby uh, loves that connection there. I love, that's my favorite. I just read that scripture a few weeks ago in sacrament. Mm -hmm. And it just hit me like, I love it being called the plan of mercy better than the plan of happiness, the plan of salvation. I love the plan of mercy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so 10 minutes. How what? do we sum this all up? <laughs> yeah, go for it. One more thing. I, um, I was just thinking how, even though Abraham had these 318 men with him, they, they were way outnumbered, but with the Lord helping them with their battle, they, they didn't even lose a single person. And it, it reminds me of the 2000 stripling warriors, the same thing. They, they went in with no fear and with, the, with purity and, and there, there wasn't anyone lost in that, those battles either. Mm -hmm. And also through stratagem, because we learned that all through the Book uh -huh. of Mormon, that there was always strategy used, right? Uh -huh. And I'm sure, I'm sure that Heavenly Father <coughs> that helps with that strategy, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. All right. So jumping ahead to um, uh, this this important summit of these two great men um, on 136, I, I love what it, it says here. It was one of the most important meetings in history, a world summit of two spiritual giants establishing the order of the kingdom of God. So we have the, this, this great um, uh, not battle, but rescue mission um, uh, of Lot that brings about this uh, tithing and sacrament scenario with, with Melchizedek. Why do you think that these two play back to back. Why is the rescue mission part of this story that, that leads into Abraham receiving higher blessings and um, the tithing sacrament, fullness of the priesthood, etc., from Melchizedek? Um, any insights into to why that might be a, a why these two scenarios are tied together? How that one brought about this one, or or etc. Well, he had all that um, stuff to pay the tithing on, the increase. But I think it was, I think the whole thing with the Melchizedek, you know, he receives the higher priesthood. And I think he passed another Abrahamic test in doing this. I think the kind of part of his journey there. Well, the Melchizedek meeting happened right after he turns down the kingship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking, Andrea, that he turned down that kingship and then he received the higher ordinances from Melchizedek, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and was crowned a king, you yeah. know? Turned down the, <laughs> the wrong kind of kingship and got the right kind. <laughs> I also, I also think that part of it was, didn't he, after all that, he immediately gave sacrifice and think as a sacrifice of gratitude and how often have we been taught to give gratitude? There was a conference talk, I don't know how many years ago, that was about just giving gratitude. That was it, that we just need to be more grateful. And then when President Nelson came and gave us that little message to the world about gratitude, it brought that back to mind. And then there was something in here that said how the, the more wealthy we get and the more God bless us, the more that we are ungrateful, kind of something like that. I don't know where it was that I read it. Yeah, but that was in here. Yeah, it was. And I don't remember exactly where, but it just, all those things kept coming back to me about how gratitude, and I'm not saying that this is why I'm blessed to have heat right now, 
But about two or three weeks ago, I, this is, keeps coming in my mind to keep being grateful. But um, I, I, you know, when I pray, I always try to be grateful, but I'm like, there's so many things like, how do I think for my nose and, you know, my hearing and things like that. But I started being thankful for the modern conveniences that we have and, you know, that we have water and, you know, heat and air conditioning, those kind of things. And here, you know, my son two miles away doesn't have heat. There could be other things that come into play, right? But I'm just super grateful that we still have heat when so many people around us don't. And it's just like when you get a cold, you're never thankful to your nose until you have a cold, right? Yep. <laughs> so anyways. Um, I have a question. Mm-hmm. At the very end, <coughs> sorry, of the chapter, when he says that he and his wife experience the um, what Latter-day Revelation calls being sanctified by the spirit unto the renewing of their bodies. And that is what enables um, you know, them to actually have physically their first child. This was all new information for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, what does he mean? What happened? They weren't translated or yeah. were they? That, that's very interesting. And that goes, I think it's into. Remind me what page that was on. It was it's like the very last that, chapter. I of, noticed that too on 139. Yeah. It's on the yeah. top of it's, 139. It's literally the very last paragraph. I, I have it in digital. Oh, so no, no, wait a minute. It's but... the top of 141. Yeah, 41. He would yet and... experience along with his wife what Latter-day Revelation calls being sanctified by the spirit unto the renewing of their bodies, Doctrine and Covenants 84.33. As we shall see, it was that very renewal that would make possible their having posterity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that ties in right to the homework for next time. Um, so <laughs> let, let me just uh, <laughs> talk about that real quick and, and then we'll try to answer the question. So um, the homework for next time um, it is in two parts, and I'll give the other part later. But um, to study the choices given to the three Nephites and John the Beloved, uh, as well as the the other apostles, the other Nephites and stuff, anybody that, that receives their calling and election made sure are given choices. And what are those choices? And we do know that the translated beings, we kind of have a better understanding of, of what uh, outcomes are, are from theirs. But what are the other people given? And, and we'll see that with Abraham and Sarah here, um, that uh, some of those blessings aren't only for translated people, but they, they can extend um, to those whose uh, mission continues on the earth um, until their, their death. Uh, it, very interesting to see. I think we see it play out with Abraham and with Joseph Smith um, and, and a few other prophets. But anyway, that's kind of the homework for next time, studying out the, the scriptures that, that detail out when the Lord gives uh, a person their choice uh, of what they want, what, which blessings they, they have. Study out the wording there and, and how um, that might play into to our individual roles in the last days. Um, to, to some, uh, it might be to, to be translated. To some, it might be some of these other blessings that, that we're seeing uh, played out here uh, as uh, callings and elections are, are made. But it's almost always that the renewing of your body is, is kind of a universal blessing once your calling and elections made sure, it seems like. I, I'm not a scriptorian on that, but um, anyway, a very interesting question. I love that you brought it up. Andrea, just before that section called Salem the Great and Melchizedek the Great, Salem the Great and Melchizedek the Great, it talks about that. And I underlined, it says that Abraham, as he now received what he had so long sought, the priesthood after the order of the son of God, that order of the priesthood that in times past allowed mortals to be translated to Enoch city of Zion. And what joy must have been Abraham's to learn that Melchizedek was seeking that very blessing of translation. Yeah. According to the Joseph Smith translation, Melchizedek and his people of Salem sought for the city of Enoch, which God had before taken, separating it from the earth, having reserved it unto the latter days or the end of the world. So well, I mean, that's part of the question, because yeah. Abraham's like, 
it says he's overjoyed. This is what he's been looking for, but then he's not translated with Melchizedek. He's renewing of his body, and that's what on the emblem. I'm like, this is this is brand new to me. <laughs> so I, yeah. we've been taught though a lot that the renewing of the body is part of the priesthood blessings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's as part of that. Um, you know, you look at the prophets and the renewing of their bodies and our current prophet, 96 years old, you can't tell me that that scripture isn't being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how do we fulfill it in our own lives? <laughs> I know, because that's what I need right now. <laughs> I I think every time I see President Nelson, he looks younger, like, mm-hmm. like, like he just looks younger. I've been noticing that for a while. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it's very interesting. I think that um, uh, there's a lot to that, and I don't have all of the the answers and stuff. But that's kind of part of what I'm studying at the at the moment. Um, just kind of those, really, the blessings of of the higher order of the priesthood and how we actually access those powers. I think President Nelson is experiencing that and is trying to get us to understand what is available to us, the, the privileges that could be ours with the, the priesthood power in our lives. Um, and, and, and one of those being specifically the renewing of our bodies. I think that that's something that we can access and, and have the privilege of um, as we seek him, as we hear him and um, strive to, to, to magnify our individual missions here in the last days. There's a great book called Drawing on the Powers of Heaven by Grant Harrison, I believe. Uh-huh. And uh, it is an, an incredible book as to how to draw on those powers. Let me, I'm, what, what, I'm just going to Can you it. write that over on the side, the name of the book? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I was trying to find my pen and I can't find my pen. Anyway, <laughs> that'd be awesome if you write that down. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it's always been there right in front of my face, but yet um, sometimes we we don't realize how important the priesthood is and how readily accessible those powers are that we can bring those into our lives and stuff. And and as we're as I'm striving to to hear him more, I'm like uh, hearing basically like a well, yeah, it's just there. You just got to learn the divine law that that it operates under. And, and what has President Nelson always been telling us, you know, throughout his whole ministry, not just as a, as a prophet, divine law, guys, learn divine law. Uh, does everyone know my project where I was uh, compiling all of his uh, conference talks and everything like that? That was one thing that, I mean, it, it pops out in almost every single talk. He always focuses on some divine law and, and how he learned how to, to live that for a specific blessing. Uh, it's just like, an amazing man when it comes to to learning those those divine laws so where andrea was reading that last paragraph it was the very renewal that would make possible their having posterity the very reason that abraham remained behind when melchizedek ascended so then the question is was he translated that's why they were able to have children but he didn't ascend he chose not to ascend Mm-hmm. because he had children yeah exactly is that a does translation require that you go up to enoch city and wait for the end of times kind of a thing or is it that you can die but you have that all of the blessings of translation etc kind of thing like that's kind of my conundrum in my head right now like I'm, or is I'm it that changing? is it that like you're translated you live this life and then you're what twinkle at the age of a tree yeah. what is and, <laughs> yeah, and you like die but your body just changes then yeah and i think that there's well, strong support for for joseph smith also being translated and that um he had to be in order to be a, a martyr kind of a thing again not doctrine i'm uh, that's just what I'm, I'm kind of studying right now and it seems to, well, to make sense the three nephites are translated and they're still here mm-hmm. you yeah, you translated, you basically become a superhuman, <laughs> yeah. but you can still, but you're still here. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, as I understand it, your body's changed from its uh, terrestrial to its telestial state. Telestial, yeah. Telestial translated. Possible to, to survive, you know, many of the things that happen on Earth. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean you still can't die if, if that's yeah. what you're mm -hmm. supposed to do. Yeah, part of the progression. Mm -hmm. Jody Stoddard did a great YouTube on translated celestial beings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. You, sure. Yeah. Supposedly during the millennium, that's the state we'll be in. So. But <laughs> isn't as we prepare right. for the millennium that we need to start that process now? That's what they're, we're encouraged to do. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're mm -hmm. they're actively encouraging us to do it. Um, mm -hmm. in Doctrine and Covenants, I always have to look it up, what scripture it is. If you look up advantage, it'll bring it right up. But remember the scripture that says the more you learn in this life, the more advantage it will be in the next. Yeah. So maybe that applies to what we're talking about right now, that the more we learn now about translation and ascending, the more advantage it will be in the millennium. Yeah. Yeah, very well. Um, so the, the second part of the, the homework kind of thing for, for tomorrow. So we'll talk about the homework and then pop back for, for final comments on, on the chapter. Um, the, so study the, the phrases and, and things around the, the three Nephites, John the Beloved, anytime that people are given the choice of, of what they uh, seek. Um, and then also uh, reading two different things, uh, reading the King Follett sermon and reading lecture third from Lectures on Faith. Um, I will um, I'll post little links to, to these as well. And, and Elle posted on the Learning Design website some additional links if you want to like listen to those on YouTube, etc. Um, but anyway, so I guess three different things for, for homework. Uh, reading those uh, scriptures in context, lecture third, and King Follett sermon. Those will greatly enhance uh, your, your study of chapter seven. Um, as we, we see this uh, vision, uh, the ascension of, of Abraham to heaven. It's an amazing chapter. I love that. Did you, did you say lecture three in Lectures on Faith? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah, lecture third. Um, yeah, so um, any last comments, things that we wanted to talk about in Abraham, and I'll, I'll start typing out these um, things in the chat. There was one other there was one other thing that really impressed me is when he was talking about tithing. And I mean, I always knew the importance of tithing and everything, but it said by this, it starts on 138, then goes on to 139 uh, by Joseph F. Smith. By this principle, it shall be known who is for the kingdom of God and who is against it. By this principle, it shall be seen whose hearts are set on the will of, the, of God and keeping his commandments, thereby sanctifying the land of Zion unto God and who are opposed to this principle have cut themselves off from the blessings of Zion. I just thought that was so powerful. Yeah. I just, I was like, wow. Um, you know, we, I always knew tithing was important but that just sealed the deal i think for me <laughs> yeah it for just sure really really hit home so i yeah, thought it interesting that it said he lived the law of consecration and he paid tithing because we think yeah. of tithing is like the lower law right mm -hmm. yeah definitely is there anybody else that is looking forward or wanting feeling an urge to live the law of consecration yeah yeah <laughs> yeah kind of hard um, and <laughs> when other people are like uh no we don't even live the law of consecration at all anymore since <laughs> missouri and i'm like hmm <laughs> and l posted something in learning zion that opened my eyes because i always thought the law of consecration and united order were like synonyms but they're not mm -hmm. yeah they're they're very different if you've been and to the I temple you should be living the law of consecration Mm -hmm. yeah that's what i like tell people sometimes and they're like oh no we don't do that and i'm like mm, i think you need to go back to, to like saints and uh some of those good uh, institute manuals are, are great resources for <laughs> distinguishing the difference there there was a video i wish i remembered where i heard this maybe you guys heard it too uh oh i think it was in come follow me and maybe it was talking scriptures that i love so much 
they were talking about Bishop Partridge and how um, he was taking in, you know, for the law of consecration. And then he gave back to everyone more than they gave in. Mm. And you thought, oh, that's interesting because maybe one person was really wealthy and everybody got more, but he didn't exclude the person that gave the most. Mm -hmm. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because when you freely give, the Lord makes Most up the difference, right? And way more than makes up the difference. If you read yeah. what, in, in this chapter, what does it say? He, he gave Abraham mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think we just, you know, we try to live so much on self-reliance and the church pushes self-reliance that we forget. I mean, the Lord doesn't want a slothful servant either, right? Mm -hmm. But we forget also to rely on the Lord and give everything to him. I don't want to hog, but I just wanted to clarify. Last time somebody made point that this Melchizedek was not the same Melchizedek. This is a different Melchizedek. Are we still reading about a different Melchizedek here? No, there, there's only one Melchizedek, but that um, he is, the author's opinion is that he is not Noah's son, Shem, as um, some of the, the Jewish translations make him out to be. They okay. make the lineage in half and try to make, uh, equate him with uh, Noah's son, Shem. But this author and I kind of believe that uh, that's not the case, that Melchizedek is a separate identity and... Um, uh, but yeah, as far as I know, there's only one Melchizedek. Uh, okay, glad I clarified because then I was confused. Okay, perfect. Thank you. I'll have to go look because I thought it was in the uh, lectures on faith that, that Joseph Smith said he was Shem, but I've got to go take a look at that again. It, it is. Yeah, lectures okay. on faith. That's exactly where uh, it says that about Shem. Okay. The other thing I thought was interesting is, you know, here is Abraham. He's got the full priesthood and whatnot why is he paying tithes to melchizedek you know yeah I, I had that same question top of page 138 it talks about that inasmuch as melchizedek was the high priest and the keeper of the storehouse of god and so you know in my mind i'm saying okay just like a bishop is responsible for a storehouse for his ward and whatnot here, Melchizedek was tasked with keeping the storehouse, which was then used to bless others. So, hence, Abraham paid tithes to the person responsible for the storehouse, who then portioned it out to those that need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I love the fact that this chapter teaches us that it's really up to us, because if we do everything possible and give everything and, and are so obedient, the Lord is bound and uh, to give us blessings. He cannot keep those blessings from us. And it reminds me that brother Jared, uh, same situation, because the Lord asked him, you know, how, what did you see? Did you see more than my finger? And it's, it, I think there's a principle there that allows us to realize that it, it doesn't have to do with anybody else. It simply has to do with us. How are we doing? And as we go down and perfect ourselves, more and more blessings come to us. Yeah, thank you. Great insights there. And also more and more trials come as we are refined. <laughs> yep, so, that's what and, I'm finding. <laughs> so in, in seminary, I used to teach that very principle. I'd, I'd put a stick figure on the board, right? And put like a half umbrella over them. And I said, you know, the Lord will never raise this umbrella unevenly. He'll never give you more trials than you have blessings to be able to, to handle them, which is what first three Nephi three seven says, right? Mm -hmm. And and you know, you, you you go and do what the Lord asks, but he's not gonna take a, he's not gonna ever give you more trials that you can't handle. And as those blessings come, of course, Satan, thank goodness, right? He wants to get his share, but but it won't be overcome overwhelming to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. At the right. bottom of page 138, it says Jewish tradition adds that God did not withhold a single blessing from Abraham. He blessed him with wisdom and understanding, knowledge and discernment, wealth and power, gave him possession of heaven and earth and made him master of the world. And why? Because he paid tithings to Melchizedek. Isn't that interesting? Like 
we just think tithing is like fast Sunday, right? Like it's just, yeah. it's this lower law. It's like, you know, I mean, you pay it, but you don't, and some don't. We know that it's tied to going to the temple, but I don't know if we fully understand the importance of paying tithing. Yeah, exactly. I, I love what it said about tithing. Um, uh, they're on page 139, right underneath the new heading, Salem the Great. It says, by his tithing, Abraham was sanctifying the land of Zion. That's how we actually sanctify the land, not the people, not the other thing. Tithing sanctifies land. I, I find that that was an interesting principle that I learned uh, this week in that chapter. It's like, I, I would have never equated the two, but but that seems to be so, a, a, a So does that equate that when we pay our tithing, we're sanctifying our land? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I don't know. I'm, that's what I'm inferring and, and trying to study and mull over and things um, that, that we're sanctifying land, uh, whether it be... Um, our personal land, the, the, the cities where we reside, uh, maybe the, the actual land of Zion, as, as here it says that he was sanctifying the land of Zion. Uh, right, because it yeah. says not only where he resided, but also Melchizedek Salem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, sorry for, for going over and keeping y'all <laughs> after class, but uh, very interesting discussions and insights. I, I love it. Um, any last things before we, we disband for the night? Just thank you, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being my friend. <laughs> when I feel like I don't have any. <laughs> oh, forgive your bishop and then go look for good things to do. I yeah. know. I know. I actually did get to know, we live on a cul-de-sac and there's seven of us, eight of us. And I did get to know our neighbors before COVID and, and I have gone over for Mother's Day and Christmas and I texted them to make sure everyone was doing well. So I, I do have my neighbor friends. I don't get to see them, but anyways. Yeah, we, we just moved during COVID too. We moved in November and we just moved into the ward we're in uh, a month ago, two, well, maybe two months ago. So yeah, I... I'm right there with you. It's hard when super, you don't see. Super hard. Yep. Hang in there. <laughs> it's, it's a different time. And it's really hard because I'm pretty extrovert, but all my family living here is very introvert. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have no family, no family here at all. Yeah, we yeah, we don't either. So yes. that's an interesting way to, to build Zion. We're re redefining <laughs> and blazing new paths. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. All right. Sounds good. Everyone have a great week. <laughs> see you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.